we don't talk about it much in our podcasts, but our effective manager conference, our effective communications conference, and our effective interviewer conference are all available to be delivered in-house at your corporation, your firm, your organization. We have over a thousand clients the world over on all the continents except Antarctica who have paid us to travel to them, customize our training, and deliver more focused training uh, without the opportunity cost of individuals traveling. Uh, depending upon the size of the group, you can save some money. And again, totally tailored to your culture, your company, your people. If there's somebody in your firm that we need to talk to, let us know or have them contact us. We look forward to it. Welcome to Manage Tools. Planning an Offsite, Part 5, the last in our series. Here we go. All right, Danny, we've talked about choosing the city, about writing your request for proposal, identifying potential hotels and submitting your RFP or request for proposal, and about choosing the hotel. So now we have, we have two parts left, how to work with a hotel and then what to do after your offsite. So let's, uh, let's get into it. So how do we work with hotels? It's a little bit of an art and some science when it comes to working with hotels. And as we said throughout the series, our guidance here is based on our years, many years of working with hundreds of hotels. Uh, and it's really, it's everything that I wish I had been told when I first started. <laughs> I learned a lot of this the hard way. So when it comes to working with hotels, number one, get everything in writing. Number two, know who all the players are, who you're going to be working with. Number three, how to ship materials to a hotel. We're going to cover that. And we're going to cover following up. And then the last rule, and it really kind of goes throughout this whole series or throughout this whole process, is to be nice. Okay. So our first rule when working with hotels is to get everything in writing. Yes. And you agree, right? My experience has been if it's not in writing, it's not going to happen. Yeah, and sometimes even when it is in writing, it still might not happen. Right, but at least give yourself a shot of it yes. happening by getting in writing. And it's, folks, it's not it's not because they're bad people. It's not because you can't trust them. There's just a lot of hands, a lot of different people involved. And the BEO, right, which is kind of the representation of the whole thing, is what gets passed around to all the people involved. And if it's not in writing I, and it's not in there, it just ain't happening. Yeah, the banquet event order, the BEO, is the documents that the hotel uses to communicate everything that needs to happen about your meeting from the person you're booking with and sales or catering to the actual banquet staff or housemen or even down to the janitorial staff who may be coming in and cleaning up. So that's their communication system. So if it's not in writing, if it's not on that BEO, then they don't need, they don't know what needs to happen. And you need to keep in mind that the person that you book with, that you are negotiating the contract with, is probably not going to be the same person who actually fulfills that contract. Often at hotels, they have one, one person who does the contracting and then they pass you off to somebody else who then actually is kind of the lead on your meeting. Um, and so again, all that stuff needs to be in writing because that's how they're communicating as they're passing you you through everybody at the hotel. That's right. And when something doesn't happen, which often it does, the first question is always, is it in the BEO? And it's a great backup. And of course, you would have a copy of the BEO with you at all times. Right. <laughs> Just saying. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that. So when you're, when you're talking to an individual who's laying out the food or whatever, 
and there's a question of, hey, this was supposed to have happened. The, the first thing they're going to ask you or the, the, your first response is going to be, and here's where it is in the BEO. Because otherwise, they've got to they've got to look for approval to get it done. If it's in the BEO, they go, that's their authorization to do what was committed to you. Um, otherwise, they've got to go up the chain and say, oh, can we do that? Because there's generally additional costs associated with it. So, folks, you got to have it in writing. <laughs> Yep. And and like you said, Mike, you got to have a copy of it because I promise you that the banquet staff who are working your meeting, they have copies of the BEOs in their back pocket. I So many times I've been talking to, to somebody about uh, what time lunch is and we we need lunch at 1230 and they were thinking 1215. And the first thing they do is reach in their back pocket and pull out that BEO and, and flip to the page and try and show me, well, here's where it says 1215. And then I pull out the BEO and I say, well, my copy is dated more recently and it says 1230. So. <laughs> Not that that ever happens. No. Not that that ever happens. So there's going to be three documents that you're going to receive from the hotel. First is the proposal, which is the response to your request for proposal. Second is the contract. And then the third is the set of BEOs or the banquet event orders. So the proposal is confirms availability and it just has the basic information about the pricing and policies. Once you accept the proposal, once you tell the hotel, yep, this looks good, then they're gonna send you a contract. The contract has all the specifics about your meeting, the dates, the times, pricing, how you're gonna be billed, the cancellation clause and all of that. Anything that you negotiated during the proposal stage, stuff like, um, reducing the room rental fee or waiving the room rental fee that we talked about last time. You need to make sure that's reflected in the contract. So you got to read through that contract very carefully and change anything that isn't correct based on your negotiations, right? So you want to pay particular close, close attention to the deposit and payment requirements. You want to make sure they have the dates and times correct. I had a lot of times where, because we start talking about different dates that what they actually put in the contract is the wrong date. Cutoff dates for cancellation, the name of the meeting room you're going to be in. It's always a good idea to have that in the contract. Um, and then any anything to do with the attrition policy like we talked about last time. Because once you sign and return that contract, you're on the hook. Right. It's a legal document at that. I, I think sometimes people make, make the mistake of saying, well, uh, lunch at 12, 12.15. Yeah, that's not important. I said 12.15. They put down 12. We'll, we'll work it out. Well... No, no, <laughs> you're not going to work it out. I mean, there's a big difference to them of 12:15 versus 12 o'clock. You're you're not the only person that's in the hotel or the facility where, that they have to serve, and so they're back in the kitchen. They're timing the preparation of food um, based upon those times. And if it says 12, and you want it to be 12:15, or so, probably better example is the other way, or you want it at 12, and the contract says 12:15. Um, you're likely not going to get it and renegotiating that late in the process, you know, the day of or at 1130. <laughs> very hard. Very hard. Very hard to do. Yeah, because they've staffed, they've staffed according to what's on the BEOs and the other meetings. And it could be that they only have one person who's who's putting the lunch out. And so they've staggered the lunches, right? There's one meeting that's at 12 and another meeting at 12.15 and another meeting at 12.30 so that that one person can can prepare or, or take out all of the tables with the buffets on them. And if now suddenly you want to move yours back to 12, that makes it hard. They don't have enough staff. That's right. Yeah, and, and it impacts their ability to deliver for other customers as well. Yeah. So, okay, so I brought up BEOs uh, somewhat flippantly too early because we really hadn't 
explain what they were in the, the various documents. So let's talk about BOs, what they are. Uh, we've been we've been alluding to it or talking about it already, but sure. let's, let's talk about BEOs. So BEO stands for banquet event order. About four to six weeks before your meeting, the hotel is going to reach out to you. And if they don't, you ought to be reaching out to them and, and saying it's time to prepare the BEOs. And the, the documents detail out every aspect of your event. So again, like we said, the banquet staff, the AV staff, everybody knows exactly what needs to happen and when it needs to happen and where it needs to happen. So every part of your meeting has its own BEO and they're typically numbered um, so that you can tell the difference as you go from one part of the meeting to another. Let me, let me give you an example to help this make more sense. There might be one BEO for how and when the room is set is set up. So there's going to be one BEO that says uh, that the meeting is going to take place in salon A and B, and it's going to be set up classroom style at 11 a.m. Then there's going to be a different BEO that says lunch will be served in salon A and B at 12.15, and here's the menu. And then there's going to be another BEO that says there will be a snack break at 2.30 in Salon A and B, and here's what's on the menu for the snack break. Each one of those activities or events has its own banquet event order with its own number. So it's going to have the menus, it's going to have the times, the number of guests, and the locations for all of that stuff that's going to happen for all the meals, for all the breaks, for all the room setups, for AV, um, all of that, the start and finish times, when you need the AV equipment, pricing for all of that, all on the BEOs. Yeah. And folks, make sure that that BEO matches what's in the contract because often something will be in the contract and then you get the BEO and it doesn't match the pricing, for example, that you negotiated in the contract. So when there's there's two documents, there's an opportunity for them to be in conflict with each other. And so you're going to have to re review that. Yep. And for you, for you, hi. High eyes, you might want to get one of your high C friends to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Your eyes do start to cross if you're planning a, a big meeting or it's you start looking at all of them and it's easy to not see, to see what you think you are supposed to be seeing instead of what's actually there. For those who are relatively new to the podcast, I'm, when I say high I or high C, I'm referring to people's DISC profile, which is a behavioral profile instrument that we highly recommend to folks. Very, very powerful. But for those of you who are not detail-oriented, we said those of you who are not detail-oriented, you might want to get one of your more detail-oriented uh, folks or associates to take a look at it. So, Very good idea. Good. The other reason that you want to make sure that all the BEOs are correct, besides just that this is how the people who are going to be delivering these things know what to do, is because this the BEOs is also, are also what the hotel is going to use to calculate your final bill. So... That's an important piece. If, if something was incorrect around pricing on the BEO, it's going to be harder. It's not impossible, but it's certainly going to be harder later for you to get that corrected on the final bill. Much easier to correct it um, in advance. And all you have to do when you're going through and reading the BEOs, if something is missing or something is wrong, you just write it in. You just correct it by hand. Right. Can you go back a second? I just want to be clear, and, and I think it's probably clear, but just in case. Folks, the, like Danny said, the BEO, that document is what the manager, what the, what, you know, the person you've negotiated this thing with is what they use to communicate with the staff about what to do, how to set it up. It, there's, there's no other document, there's no other communications that happen between the hotel management, 
the banquet management, and the staff doing it. The BEO is how they communicate it. And it's the only way in which they communicate it. So if you have a side agreement with the banquet manager, for example, about how something is going to be set up, and it's not in the BEO, the staff who actually have to execute it will never know. Trust me, they will never know. There won't be a side conversation. Oh, by the way, Jack, remember, the client wants X set up on the back table. It's not going to happen. If you want it to, to happen the way you plan, you plan it, it has to be in the BO. I cannot say that strongly enough. Yeah, most hotels are not having, they, they don't have meetings with, for example, the banquet staff or the sales or the, the catering staff, the people who are in the office that are signing your, you're signing the contract with and the, the staff who are implementing the banquet staff, the housemen. The, there are not meetings between those people where they sit down in most hotels where they are sitting down and going through everything and talking about it. I have a feeling probably in higher end hotels, you know, maybe the Ritz Carlton, they probably do that. Uh, but at most hotels that you're probably going to be using for business meetings, that's not happening. The BEO is how those things are communicated. So you got to make sure it's on there. So we um, recommend that you request the BEOs at the same time that you are doing the contract. This is not normal. <laughs> for most hotels. Um, most hotels are, are going to probably say, oh, well, we'll do that a month or two out. Um, but you absolutely can can push a little bit and say, no, we'd like it at the same time as when we, when we do the contract or sign the contract and then immediately request the BEOs. I've only ever had a handful of hotels um, that have said, no, we, we won't do BEOs until you sign the contract first. Fairly often, particularly if you're going back to properties that you've been to before, they can replicate your BEO from the previous meeting if it's the same, if it's going to be your same setup, and they can send you those at the same time as the contract. In our experience, over the last year or so, it's gotten harder to do this. So we're recording in October of 2015, and as the economy has continued to recover and people are doing more meetings and traveling more, uh, hotels are getting more choosy and selective about the things that they'll agree to. So this has definitely gotten more difficult than it was two or three years ago, um, but still, it's still possible. And the reason we recommend that is because the BEO is, as we said, it's so much more detailed than the contract and getting anything that you can in writing the sooner rather than later, you know, just again, helps reduce your risk. Like we talked about when we were talking about um, asking for deposits to be waived and that type of thing. Um, and increases the chance that the hotel will deliver on what they promise. The sooner that you get it in writing, um, just increases the chances that you'll actually get what you want. Exactly. All right, so that's, that is the documentation and that's all about BEOs. So we have a couple of lessons that I think it would be helpful, Mike, if we share that we've learned <laughs> the hard way. Yes. Um, when you are, when you are reviewing your yeah, contract, when you, when you do something like hundreds of times, I, I don't know how many, gosh, I don't know how many conferences we've done in total, but we've done this hundreds, <laughs> not that yes. we've done this hundreds of times. And so uh, when you do something hundreds of times, you, you get a few lessons. So pay attention folks, unless, <laughs> yeah. unless you want to learn the hard way again. 
So lesson number one, if your meeting is more than one day, make sure you have a 24-hour hold on the meeting room, which means the hotel can't book another group into that room between the time your meeting ends the first day and the time it begins the next day. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you're talking about like, so not the, like this has ever happened to us. So it's like you have like a conference room. They say you start go from eight to five thirty. Right. Yeah. And then uh, you have you have something else. You have another conference at eight to five thirty the following day. And they decide they want to put a uh, um, they're going to have a, a dance event, <laughs> some some <laughs> huge party, the dinner dance or whatever. And uh, it goes to like three o'clock in the morning and you walk up, walk in the next morning and it is just a disaster. There's glitter all over the floor. Glitter, yeah, <laughs> that, like that whatever happened beer bottles yeah yeah just made my imagination (laughs) yeah that's no fun that is it's not you just you walking into your meeting room the next day and finding out that glitter bomb just went off glitter bomb went off and it smells like beer and there's still the dance floor set up in the middle of your room and it's you know your av's all been taken down i mean and you have and there you have to you know run around and get everything reset that's not any fun. Hey, and, and for for you folks who still think that glitter bombs are fun and funny and amusing, dudes, they're they're really they're really not. <laughs> particularly at the beginning of the conference. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, lesson number two: confirm that there are times on the BEOs for you to set up and test AV and rehearse before your meeting. If your meeting begins first thing in the morning, like eight o'clock. That means that you might have to go in the afternoon or the evening before to set up and test. And it's much better to have all of that done the night before, even if it means that you're staying up until 10 or 11 o'clock versus rushing around the morning of your meeting. Um, You want everything set up, tested, and ready to go. Our standard is an hour before the participants are scheduled to arrive. So if your meeting is scheduled to begin at 8, you should, you ought to be ready to to rock and roll by 7 o'clock. Right. And folks, and folks, just to be clear, we've done this hundreds, hundreds of times, and our standard is an hour beforehand. If this is the first time you're, you're, you're doing something like this, then I recommend two or three. I mean, an hour is not enough. There's so many things that can go wrong, particularly the first time you've done it, that an hour is really um, not giving yourself a lot of time. Yeah, the hour will fly by if you're having problems. I mean, you'll think, oh, I got an hour to solve this this problem. The projector's not working. And before you know it, 30 minutes has gone by and now people are starting to come in and your projector's still not working and you're trying to deal with that and people are coming in and they're wanting to talk to you and you're wanting to talk to them because you want you want that time to greet people and welcome them. That helps people participate more when they feel like they've chatted with you before the meeting starts and, and um, you know, or you may have business that you need to discuss before the meeting starts. And there you are messing with the projector and it's just stressful. Right. And, and our standards are that half an hour prior to the, the meetings when people are going to start showing up, right? So you have to meet and greet them and talk to them and all that. So when an hour before is really only a half an hour. Right. In terms of, of in terms of slack time to deal with unforeseen uh, uh, problem. And then the high seeds show up at 55 minutes before. <laughs> right. And distract you while you're trying to solve your, your problem. Your well, problem. they don't. But the high seeds don't talk to you. So they, that's true. They're not so bad. It's the high eyes that show up early. You got to worry about. Because <laughs> they want to talk. All right. Go on. Sorry. All right. Lesson three. Cross out on your contract and your BEOs any statement that about the hotel, and this is usually what it says, something like, we reserve the right to change your meeting room location at any time without notice. 
Uh, strike it. Strike yeah, it. Strike it out. Big, bold, black marker. <laughs> yeah. Strike it out. It's pretty standard, and most contracts um, say it, and it's often included on the BEOs as well. Just put an X through it. Just cross it out. They put it in there because they want to be able to move move groups around, particularly if your group isn't very big, and a larger group comes in and wants that space. They want to be able to move you around and stick you in a different room. But you've already spent so much time, as we talked about earlier, figuring out which room is going to work the best for you and, and work the best with your setup, that if you get in there and they've said, oh, yeah, we just moved you to this other room, you don't know what that room looks like. All it's, effort wasted. <laughs> just yep. complete. And do we ever get pushback on striking that? I never have. Yeah, I think it's it's... This is one of the things, strike it and you won't get pushback. Don't ask. Don't say, hey, can we take that out? Just take it out and sign and sign the bottom. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. So our, our next point is about knowing who the players are in the hotel. So it's really helpful if you know who's who. And it also is helpful if you have some idea of kind of the hotel lingo that they're going to use and and the the verbiage because that sends a message that you've done this before um this is not your first rodeo <laughs> which can be useful um in resolving problems right if they feel like wow i'm i'm talking to somebody who who's done this before then they're more likely to kind of step up and and try and get it right than if they feel like they're dealing with somebody who doesn't really know know what's going on so the most senior staff person on property is the general manager or GM. If you can, we recommend you get the GM's name, phone number, and email address ahead of time. That's going to be pretty hard to do. They're usually fairly well protected, um, but sometimes you can. And if you can't, that's okay. But, you know, it's, it's good to try because if there's a problem later and you need to contact the GM, the staff might be reluctant to share that when they know that you're contacting them about a problem. Right. So, and nobody calls a GM up to tell them how great a job How great everything yeah. is. No. Unfortunately. Right? And they don't want their boss or their boss's boss or their boss's boss's boss to know that they couldn't handle something, right? So if you can get it ahead of time before there's a problem, then that's good. Um, but on the flip side, Mike, right? If you have a great experience... We recommend that you you be the exception. You let the GM know, hey, we had a great experience, right? Because they they you're absolutely right, Mike. They are only going to hear complaints, so they'll really appreciate and remember you and remember your company that you were the you were the one in ninety nine who actually said something nice. Yeah, and yeah, that's why you, that's why we recommend you be nice the, this entire process because yes, if you've been there before and you've been nice and they. They can make allowances. They can make deals, right? And just like, you know, just like everybody listening to this podcast, we tend to do that kind of stuff for people we like. Absolutely. That's the way the world works. Okay. The next kind of level is the manager on duty. And this is the, the acronym is the MOD. This is the person who's typically going to be the most senior person on property. So it changes as the shifts change, right? So if you have an issue after hours, the MOD is probably going to be the person that you'll need to reach out to to help you fix it. They'll have phone numbers for other staff. They'll have keys to get into all the locked rooms and security codes. And they have the authority to make decisions um, around solving your problem. Now, we recommend you, you don't don't be the person who quickly escalates to the MOD, right? Try to work with the staff that is assigned to you and, and trying to help. 
But if you can't get them to help you, then go to the front desk, ask the person working the front desk, can I please speak to the MOD? Um, and then stand at the front desk and wait for them to come out. <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah. don't, if you go back to your meeting room, cause you're trying to get stuff out, they're going to forget about you and you're, they're not, they're not going to come find you. So go stand and wait for them to come out and then explain the problem that you're having. Um, while being nice. Right. And there's a whole escalation process. You wait calmly for five minutes. And then after five minutes, you start tapping your fingers on the counter. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then you cross your arms. Sighing. And, and, and you sigh. Sighing. Yes. Yeah, sighing is one of the phases. There's certain, but Very loud. we're not going to go into all those <laughs> no. things. <laughs> no. Now, we recommend that you work with your sales rep or the catering person that you booked with as much as possible uh, because you already have a relationship with them. They understand your meeting and and your needs, um, they'll often, they'll be able to take care of what you need or they can call the person who does. But if you're on property after hours, it's likely that that person isn't there because most of them are, you know, are working eight to five or something like that. Or um, if they're working nights, it's usually only going to be on weekends when there's big events. So if you're going to be there after hours setting up, then ask your your point of contact, ask the person you've been working with up until now, who will be my point of contact after you leave for the day? Who should I reach out to if there's a problem? Because they probably have a second shift person or a backup person uh, assigned to your meeting or just on property to deal with things. That's probably somebody different than the MOD. All right, next is the catering or the banquet staff. And these are the men and women who set up your room. They, they bring the food out. They serve. They clean up after the meals. They keep your beverages and your snacks refreshed. And I got to tell you, these are some of the hardest working people in the hotel. So treat them well. Take care of them. They will usually have name tags on. Yeah. Pay attention. Use their names. Tip them. Trust us, guys. Nobody tips these folks. And when you do, you will stand out and you will get better service as a result. They'll probably try and say no. They'll say, no, 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 no tip is necessary. Insist. Make them take it. Yeah, look at, folks, this is, this is terribly important. We have, every time we, we do a conference, we have a tub that gets shipped out with all the supply materials. And in that tub is a, one of those accordion folders. And in, in one of those sections is an envelope with cash for tips. Right, we yep. it's it's part of our plan. It's part of execute. We include several hundred dollars in there for tipping folks. It's that important, and we don't leave it to chance. We put it's part of the process. Absolutely. And 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 the reason being is because well, we like to be nice people, and secondly, it's more effective. It works. We get better service. Our customers, our attendees at our conferences, have a better experience because we do that. Absolutely. We have at, at properties that we go back to um, several times a year. For example, I'm thinking of Chicago off the top of my head. We've been going to this property in Chicago. I think this is the third year. And we have staff that we've been working with since the beginning, which is unusual because hotel staff typically turns over a lot. But they request to be assigned to our meeting <laughs> because oh, they know yeah. we're going to take care of them. Exactly. We're and nice they and take, we take care, care of us. Yep just kind of bubbled up as, as kind of a general managerial principle. If you're a manager, listen to this or a professional, 
like there's some things that work. Don't leave it to chance. Build a process that you do it every single time. I'm not naturally a people person. So, you know, tipping is not something that I tip very, very well, but it's a learned habit. It's not, it's not something that I would naturally do. So of course they're my, you know, of course they're doing their job. That's what they're getting paid for. I don't have to give them extra money, <laughs> right? But tipping, tipping helps. So anyways, yeah. institutionalize this, put a process in place to make sure that stuff happens. Even little things like tips. Often at our conferences, we we don't have sodas out all day. We have coffee and water, but we don't always put soda out all day. And sometimes there's people who are like, you know, I really I really want a Coke at two o'clock in the afternoon. And if you've tipped that banquet staff at eight or nine or 10 o'clock in the morning, and then you come up to them at two o'clock in the afternoon and say, hey, can, can we just have a couple of Cokes? Yeah, sure. And they'll go get it. Absolutely. And that stuff magically doesn't show up on your bill. Mag <laughs> so, it's magic. It's magic. It's just magic. Okay. What's the next group of people? All right. Next is the AV staff. And these are the folks who are responsible for setting up your AV equipment, helping with um, technical problems, you know, putting up the screen, hooking up the projector. They might be employed by the, the, the hotel, or they may work for a company that the hotel um, has outsourced that to. And I'm seeing a, much more of the outsourcing yes. um, over the next over the last couple of years. It's more and more common where that's outsourced. So if possible, get the name and contact information of the AV staff prior to your meeting. If it's a different company, if they're outsourcing it, it's a good idea to call ahead of time and confirm everything. Again, it's all going to be on the BEOs and in writing, but it's a good idea to, to verbally talk through it with them as well. Because at that point when you're on site, if there's a problem, you're not, the hotel can't do anything about it because they're outsourcing it to this other company. So you want to make sure you have a relationship with that AV company in case there's, there's a problem. Yeah. If they're on site and they don't have the stuff in the van, the equipment you need in the van, um, <laughs> that's, it's not good. It's not like they can go to a supply room at the hotel. Oh, I'll, right. I'll go get that projector you need. Well, no, it's, they, they have to bring it. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So that's all the people who are at the hotel. So next we're going to talk about shipping. If you're shipping stuff ahead of time, um, we have a, a few pointers on what to do. First, you need to know the shipping time required to get your supplies there in time. It can get really expensive, really fast if you start shipping stuff express or overnight. So what we do before every conference um, about two months out is we actually go, we use FedEx and we go on FedEx and we, we do a kind of like a dummy shipment and figure out how long is it going to take to go from where we're shipping from to this specific hotel so that we know if we're shipping ground, it's going to take four days, which tells us how soon out or, you know, how far out from the meeting we need to ship. We also put our own labels on everything. So we don't just use the shipping label provided by FedEx or UPS. We have our actual, we use these big full sheet, like eight and a half by 11 labels with Manager Tools logo. We put three on each box, one on the top and then two on the sides. It has our logo, it has our name, has the phone number and email address and uh, name of the contact person who's gonna be on site. This is very helpful in helping to identify your boxes faster. That's why we do these big labels because chances are they're gonna, you're gonna ship stuff. They're gonna put it in a big storage room on some shelf somewhere. You need it at 11 o'clock at night. It's really <laughs> helpful to be able to say, it's a big blue Rubbermaid tub and it has, the big, has a big white label on it that says manager tools. Yeah. It helps you just find it faster. 
Um, definitely recommend if you're shipping multiples that you you number the boxes, as in box number one of four, number two of four, number three of four. That's terribly important. One, it helps the, the, the hotel staff. So when you call them, say, hey, did you receive all our boxes? They look down, you ship four. They look down and say, they see three boxes. Go, yep, got them all. Got them all. <laughs> right? Nope. <laughs> nope, they don't, right? So you want to make sure you know, and you can tell them when you call them to see if they've gotten it, how many boxes you shipped specifically and, you know, and labeling them helps tremendously. Yes. I've messed this up before, so don't do it. <laughs> not, not fun. All right. After you ship, you're going to track your shipments with whoever you're shipping with, confirm delivery. Once you have co that confirmation from the shipping company, then you also need to confirm receipt with the hotel, right? Wait a minute, to... but FedEx said they got it. How... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Right. So the key is not whether or not it got delivered to the hotel, because it can be at the hotel and you not have it. And you not have it. Right. That's it's, right. It's got to get to the hotel and then it's got to get to the appropriate place, to the front desk or to the wherever they're wherever they're collecting your boxes for your event. And believe it or not, that sometimes doesn't happen. FedEx delivered it, yet you don't have it. Yep. It goes again, it goes into that big storage room and it's it's <laughs> It reminds me of the end of the movie Indiana Jones, right? Where they put the Ark of the Covenant in the big, big giant facility. It's in a box and it's way hidden way back. That's right. That's what you will feel like when you're trying to find your boxes at 11 o'clock at night. So confirm with the, your point of contact, your salesperson. Um, we shipped. We have two boxes. FedEx confirmed delivery of the boxes, you know, yesterday. And if you have the name of the person who signed, that's additionally um, good information to, to let them know. And so-and-so signed for them. If you're staying at the hotel, once you get on site, we recommend that you do not have the boxes delivered to your hotel room. Just have them take them to your meeting room. So when you check in, they're probably going to say, oh, Mr. Ozan, we, ha we have three packages for you. And they'll ask you, do you want us to bring, you bring those to your room? No. No, don't bring them to my room. Again, <laughs> you get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to get ready. Right. And you got to get your, and then you're going to go find a bellman and with a cart to deliver the boxes to the event room. It's just, it's, it's a stress you don't, you don't need in the morning. Yeah. That, that right there, just getting your boxes to the meeting room can be a 45 minute to an hour long deal, depending on what time of the day it is and how busy they are. Right. And add an hour. It, right. So there's, there's an unexpected 45 minutes in the morning. Now, all of a sudden that, getting set up an hour before your event starts becomes almost impossible at that point. So trust us on this one. Trust us on all of them. Trust actually. us on all of them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. About two weeks before the meeting, reach out to your point of contact, confirm everything is still on track, review your BEOs again. By that, I mean you actually get them out and read them over again yourself because if it's been a couple of weeks or you know even two months, it's possible that you've had some agenda changes or or maybe there's just something you missed the first time. So always a good idea to review them again. Let the hotel know if you have any changes. Don't forget to send your final attendance numbers by the deadline listed. It's usually it's 72 hours out uh, or three business days. And if you if you miss that deadline, then you're probably going to get charged for the number that you initially quoted when you set up the contract. And that could be significantly more than the, than the final number you end up with. So 
don't miss that deadline because that could end up costing you more money. Absolutely. And then our last piece of guidance is to be nice throughout this entire process. I feel like Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. The first rule is be nice. Oh, I should know, Mike, not to talk about movies with when you and I are recording. No, you shouldn't, because I, <laughs> I you know that I, I understand. I know what you're saying. You know, Patrick Swayze said, you know, first rule is be nice. But then again, it's the it's the same guy that ripped out somebody's throat in the movie. So I don't know. I don't know if that really works. Well, or not. <laughs> be nice until it's time not to be nice. Right. right? There you go. Throughout this whole process, be polite, be professional, understand that they have goals and objectives that they're trying to reach and you have goals and objectives that you're trying to reach and sometimes they're going to be at odds at each other. But if you have a good relationship with the hotel, with the staff that you're working with, that can really make a, a huge difference. Your meetings are going to be more productive because you're going to get better service. You will save time because you're not going to be constantly looking for a new hotel every time you need to book a meeting um, because you have established relationships. We go to dozens of hotels every year for our conferences and everything goes more smoothly, faster, and is just better when we go back to a property we've been to before. And that's because we, we invest big time in the relationship. We, we've done everything from send fruit baskets and muffins after a meeting to the staff just to say, you know, we had, we had a couple of tough things that we had to deal with or we had some unexpected um, issues and you guys did great with it. Thank you so much. And that kind of stuff goes a long way. Yes, it does. So what? It's okay. So we've so we've been nice. We've done all this stuff. We've had a great meeting. Okay. So now, what do we do after the meeting? Are we done? Or we got more stuff to do? <laughs> There's more to do. <laughs> uh, as soon as possible, uh, when your meeting is over, do a hot wash. If you don't know what we mean by hot wash, there's a podcast for that. Um, basically, you you write down, you list on a piece of paper, on one half of the paper, you list the things that went well, what went well, WWW at the top. And on the other half of the paper, you put at the top TALA, which means take a look at, and you write down the things that went well and the what went well side, and you write down the things that you want to improve or didn't go so good, or maybe you could have done better under the, the take a look at side. It's a very fast, easy way to capture things that you might um, forget, but would be helpful the next time you have to plan a meeting. And it could be everything from the very start, from when you started looking at, at locations through the actual meeting itself. And it doesn't take very long. We usually do ours in you know, less than three minutes after each conference. And, and having listened to this series, hopefully your what went well and take a look at will be, your, your take a look at will be much shorter having learned from Danny's vast experience here, <laughs> I hope. And then when you get the final bill from the hotel, you need to sit down and go through it with a fine tooth comb. You want to compare all the pricing that was on the contract and the BEOs to what you were charged based on your final guaranteed numbers on the bill. And you're going to need to get your calculator out. You're going to need to do the math. Not because, again, not because the staff are dishonest or they're trying to cheat you. It's just, you know, they do hundreds of meetings and events every year, and sometimes they make mistakes. So go through and check every line item. Most hotels are going to send you a pretty detailed bill where they will list out, you know, breakfast, lunch, snack. It'll all typically be broken out, and so you can, you can check and make sure. I would say probably... Five to ten percent of the time, now well, maybe not ten percent, maybe like five to eight percent of the time, Mike, we have mistakes on our on our bills um, that 
always seem to go in their favor. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how that. I don't think I've ever had a bill mistake where we we got charged less than we should have. I think maybe once I have, Um, and because we're honest, we told the hotel you undercharged us. Um, So you got to go through that bill from from start to finish, and then it would probably be a good idea to do some type of of um, evaluation or survey with your attendees, um, particularly if it was in a location that you you haven't been to before, you know, find out did this location work for you and and those types of things so that you can take all that into account when you're planning your next meeting. Yeah. I think the key here is after me, you, you absolutely want to learn from the experience and get better the next time. There's so much that can go wrong. There's so many lessons learned. And if you don't capture it in a form that you can hand to somebody else who might be in your role next time, um, you're just going to lose a lot of institutional knowledge. And for for most people probably listening to this podcast, you don't do this very often. Um, and so you have to have some way of recording the lessons learned so that the organization as a whole can learn, right? Yep. When we, we used to, when I worked at the Cancer Society, we would do one huge meeting a year, like 500 people. And we would always get out the hot wash notes from the from the previous year when we started planning and just review them, just read them, just to re- remind ourselves what were the things that, you know, we said we needed to work on and what were the things that we re- that everybody liked that we want to make sure we do again. Right. Yeah. And that's key. Right. I mean, it goes in the if you it, folks, if you haven't listened to the hot wash podcast, you you, you really should recommend you, you, you do so very highly. Um, it's it's something we we use a hot wash for just about everything we do, um, and it's it's amazing the learnings you get out of it when you start when you just spend five minutes thinking about what went well and take take a look at it. not a big deal very easy to do and very very powerful. All right, can you believe we're done? <laughs> I, I no, actually, I'm sure. <laughs> I think I think our audience is probably going. Is there part six? Are we done? Can no, we want something else? We are done. <laughs> Is this like the, does this have like the most parts ever? <laughs> I, I think so. I think so. And and it's probably one of the most detailed things we've, we've done for sure when you were talking about op, kind of operational kind of stuff um, and long for, you know, long for something that, that a lot of people are not going to do, right? But again, when you have 800 podcasts, this is, this is, this is something managers do, something that, that professionals do. And if you think about managed tools, more of a library versus a daily radio show, right? There's, there's over 800 podcasts out there. And this, and this particular podcast, although long and detailed, um, is an important piece. If you look at kind of the compendium of all the things managers and professionals need to know. So awesome. I thank you, Danny. This is really good knowledge here. I don't, I, I just don't really think there's any place you could find this. I, I really don't. Maybe there's a dummies book, but I, I, I doubt the dummies <laughs> books would have this amount of detail in it. It was fun. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. See y'all. All right. Bye. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. Have a great one. So long. This podcast was produced by Manager Tools. Manager Tools creates actionable management guidance every single week. To receive additional materials via our newsletter, And to find products for situations you may face as a manager or professional, go to www.manager-tools.com. Search for Manager Tools on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.